Blog Talk Radio. Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's that special time once again for the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show. And it will be airing live momentarily. This is that place to ask those special questions about PCs, technologies, with your computer, iPhone, and those smart devices designed to work at home and in the office that's supposed to make life easier. We welcome your questions tonight. And please help me welcome the CEO and founder of the Jaymore Connection, Inc., and the star of tonight's show, Mr. John C. Morley. Check us out more at jmor.com. Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's a fine Monday night, and uh, got a little bit cooler tonight. Actually, not as warm as the other days, but I hear the weather is actually going to be changing. I guess as we get to the rest of the week, um, it's going to be, um, unfortunately, it's going to be, it's going to be warming up a little bit more. So um, I don't want you to think that uh, the weather has kind of um, decided to play nice with us with, you know, uh, where we are here, just around 59 degrees. Uh, Tomorrow is going to actually be 81 uh, in the high. And then Tuesday is actually going to uh, Tuesday night. It's going to drop to 61, and then Wednesday 86, and then Wednesday night 65. So we're not quite we're not quite out of it. And uh, if we were to look to the rest of the days, uh, the 10 day forecast. Not to give you the whole forecast here on the show, but I want to let you know that Thursday um, uh, the 25th is going to be 87, but Friday is going to be a scorcher. Uh, not quite 102 degrees, but it's going to be 90 degrees, so it's going to be warm and it's going to be humid. Uh, it seems like it's going to be one of the hot days, and then it looks like it's going to kind of pan off in the mid-80s uh, for the rest of the week, and then we're going to get some uh, thunderstorms, it looks like, on the 31st of uh, of August. Okay, so enough about the weather, but I did want to just let you know what was happening there. So tonight's show, for those of you that are just joining us, welcome. The Jay Moore Tech Talk Show is happy to be celebrating it's 32nd episode in the first season, and we'll be talking about tonight the technology behind the 2006 Rio Olympics. I mean, how many of our viewers out there actually watch the Olympics? Okay, I watch them. You guys watch them. A lot of people. Brian, you watch them in the control room? You, yeah, <laughs> you watch them. How about you, Diane? You watch them too. Megan, yes, you watch them too. That's great. You know, the thing about when we, we talk about the Olympics and we talk about, uh, you probably know we did a tech show of, you know, kind of the magic behind or what powered the Super Bowl, right? And, you know, we don't really take, I guess, a lot of, um, we want to call or pay a lot of attention, I should say, to what actually goes on behind the scenes. We just take it for granted, right? So in the Olympics, the 2016 Olympics, which was the 30, uh, is our 32nd show, and um, you know there were a lot of new technologies that were rolled out. First of all, uh, they have the ability to do virtual reality video reviews, which we'll talk about a little bit. The underwater digital lap counters, uh, which is kind of cool. We'll talk about that. But now, if we think about volleyball for a second, and we all know how volleyball is played with a server and how they rotate, et cetera, and then when you hit the ball over and when the other team uh, misses the ball and it hits the ground, basically uh, the, the serving team scores a point. Well, teams now can use video to challenge the referee's call. 
I mean, this was huge in the Olympics because it was always a he said, she said thing, and whatever it was, it was, and that was it. So that was really, really huge. In fact, they didn't, they didn't realize how huge it was. I mean, they thought it would be kind of interesting and be kind of neat, but it was used quite a bit in the Olympics. And um, actually, I think in a couple of occasions, uh, tipped the favor in another person's um, way, and the team that was going to win didn't win all because of a video replay. Swimming. Now, many of you are fans of swimming. Myself being a Pisces, uh, I love water. But swimming has not had a lot of technological advances. I mean, what can you do in swimming, right? I mean, they basically have water, you jump in, there's some timers that you see up on the board, and that's about it, right? And, you know, maybe they're waterproof. Well, this year they did something kind of unique, and actually, it was actually uh, rolled out in 2015 at the championship uh, swimming, and uh, it was a test. It was the first time it was ever used, and it was uh, they used it in the Olympics in the 800-meter and the 1500-meter freestyle. So at the bottom of each lane, just near the turning point, um, there was a digital lap counter. And what would happen is um, whenever the swimmer would touch, basically hit the touchpad on the wall and make that turn, the swimmer would be able to see, you know, the lap they were on. So that was really handy, and it gave the swimmer a chance to focus more on the swimming and less on where they were in keeping track of the count. Because when you're trying to do something and when you're trying to count and somebody says, you know, don't, don't talk to me on the middle of counting, or if you're counting money and somebody keeps asking you questions, well, wait, wait, I'm in the middle of counting. Can you imagine how um, a swimmer in the Olympics feels because he or she is swimming and being so stressed about winning and now having to worry about what lap? <laughs> so the lap counter is actually to make things a lot easier and it, it made life um, – I don't want to say 100% easier, but it definitely gave the swimmers an edge, and it gave everyone an edge, so it was an equal thing for everyone. And that was something brand new. Now, there was something else that was kind of unique. Uh, the swimmers, uh, many of you probably saw uh, on, on Michael Phelps or on some of the other swimmers, um, they had a bracelet, and they called it a WHOOP, W-H-O-O-P. So it's a smart bracelet that the swimmers would wear, uh, mostly it was on the swimmers. I'm not sure if they used it in other sports, but it was mostly used in, in the swimming um, uh, arena for those athletes. So they wore this smart bracelet, and what it did is it monitored, let's say, their sleep pattern. Uh, it monitored their conditions, um, you know, how they were swimming, uh, their heart rate, and all types of different things. And then it actually made recommendations to the swimmer on how they could improve their uh, personal health so that they'd have the optimum efficiency and performance so they'd have a really healthy body that could perform really, really well. And again, it wasn't an edge for one swimmer. Everyone had access to it, so it was something that was given to all the swimmers. And I just thought that was kind of unique. And, um, you know, the smart bracelet allowed spectators to – to see the, um, the swimmer's heart rate, you know, on the screen. And uh, it was just a neat little thing to get the crowd involved. If you remember when we talked about 
uh, the Super Bowl, we mentioned that the Super Bowl is one thing, but what people want is to become more involved in the game without actually playing it. So a lot of the companies that the Super Bowl hired to put this on is to make it very, let's say, interactive uh, with the spectators. And I think the Olympics gets the same message, that they're doing the exact same thing. You know, they're trying to make it more interactive. Yes, it can help the athletes, but I think it can actually take that adrenaline level that the athlete has and actually pump up some of the excitement and the exuberance in the spectators to uh, cheer them on, be worried, etc. So I think it was a really great idea, and they called it a WHOOP, W-H-O-O-P, and a lot of the athletes were wearing these. So something else that happened in the uh, Olympics that was kind of neat, How many of you watch the canoe races? Any of you watch the canoe races? Okay. Well, the canoe races had a GPS, the Global Positioning um, Satellite Tracking System, um, attached to each vessel. And guess what this did? This allowed the spectators to become even more involved with canoe racing than they ever did in the past. They could track the speed and they could track the direction. Now, you're probably saying, well, gee, you know, what good is that? Well, it's it's pretty amazing because when you're sitting or standing and watching these canoes, it's very hard to tell, you know, how fast one is going and what's the chances of one passing. Now when you see the speeds, it's very easy to say, oh, wow, this person might pass this one quickly because now you're not just going by the eyesight and sometimes in the optical illusion, you're actually going by the scientific of the speed and you can actually see, well, one's at 100 or whatever it is. And one's at 30, oh, gee, wow, they're really going to catch up. They're going to pass them in seconds if the other one's only doing 20. And those numbers aren't realistic. I'm just giving you some, some, some information just to explain it. But I thought that was a really great idea that um, all the canoes had that. And it just made, I think it made the Olympics uh, canoe uh, segment very interesting. And, of course, made it very uh, interactive. I think that was something that was amazing. And again, we talk about technology and how technology can not only improve the quality of the game, but enhance the experience for the spectators. And I think that's what we're learning a lot as we hear about the football, we hear about the Olympics, and we're going to hear more about um, other episodes. We'll talk about more virtual reality and how they're making theaters to become so awesome that they can involve more than just the sense of our hearing and our vision. We'll talk about that on another show. Now, archery, the bow and arrow, right? So they have a new scoring system with the, with the archery, and um, this new system actually, it looked very similar to the old system, okay? And the paper on the front that you look at is about the only thing that's the same, okay? That's all we really see. But this new system had the ability to determine accuracy in 0.2 millimeters. That's pretty impressive, uh, which is a lot more capable than the human eye, right? <laughs> uh, if we were looking at that with our human eye, we would kind of be like, okay, well, is it there? Is it not there? I mean, that's just like so close. There's no way the human eye would detect that. Even if it was right butt up against it, it's just not going to be able to detect that. So in this new archery system, what did they do? Well, they did some 
pretty neat things. They upgraded the acoustic technology, which was in there in the previous Olympics, to the new laser technology, which is what's able to give us that honing precision of 0.2 millimeters. That's how we have it so great now. And because of this, it actually made the scoring system much more precise. And it meant that the athletes had to really be at the top of their game. So a lot of times we talk about um, we talk about the um, how systems were designed to you know make things um, easier for the athletes. But in this sense, it wasn't really to make it easier for the athletes. It was actually to make it more precise because when you score to archery, you know you can't do it by eye. They had to use some type of system, so they used the sound system before the acoustic, and now with the laser, I mean. They have to be really on their game, and the score is calculated with with the millimetric with millimetric precision. I mean, that was just so amazing. They were never able to do that in archery, so the archery competition got so much more participation from the outside audience because of this extra ability that was added. And I thought that was kind of neat. Now there was also uh, the weightlifting. I don't know if any of you caught the weightlifting, but what they did with the weightlifting was they added some technology with the cameras. So now they could actually get all the angles shown as opposed to just one angle. And again, kind of putting more in that play of the virtual reality, right? Kind of going more toward that realm, but basically just trying to give us more of the 360. Remember we talked about the 360 vision uh, for the football, same concept, but they incorporated that in the weightlifting because a lot of times when somebody lifts a weight, you were missing something if you're just looking at the front or just looking at the back or the side. You want to get a chance to see them in a 360 perspective so you can see the differences between them. And, um, again, that made the scoring for weightlifting um, a lot harder. And uh, the judges had that tool so that they could uh, definitely utilize that. And, you know, when we think about the Olympics, you know, and all the work and all the money and the effort that goes into it, the thing that most people don't realize, and I think this is kind of interesting, whatever whatever company we're talking about, uh, and I'm not going to mention any uh, per se, but let's just say one of the food venues, okay? And incidentally, there are over 4,000 point-of-sale terminals, but we'll get to that in a minute. In all the um, areas of the Olympics and the venues, the thing that is very, very interesting, okay, is that when we talk about, you know, what's going to happen or, you know, how they've made changes, they try to make things so easy um, and simple. And again, we're going we're gonna to learn about that in just a second. But the Olympics was designed, as I said to you, to be a catalyst to get more people to go to. Now, getting back to my initial thought here is that most people don't understand that when you go to the Olympics and you see these great big companies there, or you see companies every day that serve coffee or tea or uh, serve beverages right here in the United States, around the world, you know, you think they're making a ton of money. And I thought that at first too, but I have to be honest with you, they're really not. You see, what the Olympics is doing is the Olympics is causing basically a brand recognition. So by the time you think about all of the effort and the money that the vendors have put in 
for this particular, let's say, kiosk, whatever they're doing. I won't tell you they're losing money. Maybe they're making a little bit, but they're not really doing it to make money. And this is interesting. They're doing it so the brand recognition sticks in your head and that you're going to want to buy that product, so that you're associated with the Olympics, and so that now you're going to choose to buy more products. So that's how they make their money. It's not primarily from the Olympics. It's from all the sponsorship and co-sponsorship opportunities. So about that, that was kind of interesting because I always thought that, you know, they made lots of money at the Olympics, but unfortunately, they don't. <laughs> and the question is, well, why do they want to keep doing it? Well, if XYZ company doesn't do it, then somebody else is going to step up to the plate and guess what's going to happen? They're going to lose, they're going to lose their brand recognition. And I think that's the main thing that, that, that comes to play here is we talk about brand recognition, and if I don't have the brand recognition, then guess what? Somebody else is going to have it. So they would rather lose some money or nearly break even or even be a little bit under break even just so they don't lose market share in the awareness of their product. Okay. And uh, I, I, thought, I thought that was um, – I thought that was really, really interesting. And when we think about, you know, the different venues and we think about all the stuff at the Olympics, the thing people don't realize is that, you know, the Olympics actually, every event you go to, like the opening ceremonies, the closing ceremonies, everything is a ticket and or a pass. And if you want to go to swimming, you have to pay to go to that swimming, to go to that competition. You have to pay for every event. It's not like you pay one price and you just get in. I mean, they have package deals, but you have to basically pay for admittance into every single venue or event that you want to go see. Maybe you want to go see archery, or maybe you want to go see swimming, and maybe you want to go see canoeing. Because remember, when we see it on TV, we actually don't see the entire performance. We just see, like, the finalists at the end. Because it would just take a very, very long time. But people sit there and watch this for days, and we only see the final on TV. You know, that's basically what we're seeing there. But I think a lot of the challenges, um, you know, happened. I have to say one thing, and I have to comment about this. And I don't usually like to bring these things up, but I do want to comment on it. You know, the Olympics, I think, went very, very well. Um, I think the other thing that, that, that I think was um, – was 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 not the greatest uh was the uh the you know the olympic swimmer who basically decided um um you know that uh, you know that he decided that he was going to he, he apologized for you know the behavior um so the the visitors apologized and and uh you know it, it it's 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 just you know Ryan Lockie as as you remember um so the American visitors had apologized for the Olympians' behavior with, you know, a feral message on the Rio airport wall. And, uh, you know, they, they, they'd been leaving messages to the people of Brazil and Rio on, on a marker board in, inside the airport. And one section of the board was littered with comments of people who who are sorry about Ryan Lockie. And Lockie, uh, 32, apologized to the people of Brazil when he appeared on the Today. But they put on the great games. And, you know, he was very immature. He had intoxicated behavior, 
And I think, you know, this really draws a point home. And, you know, no one's perfect. But, you know, when you're on the stage and people are looking at you, I think it's even more important to be on your best behavior because, you know, you're setting and, you know, you're setting an example for our country. And I think a lot of these people that go out to the Olympics and, and nothing against any of them, I think a lot of them are very mature. I think they just, you know, they feel like they're on this great big field trip. And yes, they have to work and they have to swim. And yes, and I know there's a lot that they have to do. But when they're not swimming, they become, I don't want to keep this G-rated, they become very arrogant. <laughs> Let's just say they become very arrogant. And that's just not the kind of impression that I would have expected from a U.S. Olympian. I, I think that's really bad. And I think our country needs to work on making sure that not only do we pick Olympians that are good in the sport, but that we work on their behavior. And I think that's really important because, you know, what, what he did and, you know, the fact that he got drunk, I, I understand that and, and what happened. And, yes, it was all mistakes. But that should have been that should have not even been tolerated. Okay, I mean they should have been they should have known better. I guess common sense isn't common anymore. But they really should have known better. And I have to tell you, I'm very very disappointed. Not just with him, but many other athletes. You know, they they feel like you know they're winning these medals for us, and they can do whatever they want because they suddenly are the best. Okay, they're the best, and we have respect that you've done it. But that doesn't mean you can do whatever you want or say whatever you want or disgrace uh, our country or disgrace, uh, you know, uh, or, or show a bad attitude toward countries that you're visiting. I mean, we're guests in their country. You think we could be a little bit nicer? So that, that's what I have to say about that. I don't want to go into it too much. I know we've heard a lot about it on the news, but I did want to bring it up just because, you know, uh, the, the, the difference from, you know, they've had, uh, they've had issues before. And, um, you know, I, I think I think the, the other thing that, that was interesting um, that that was interesting is that, you know, uh, you know, his attempt. Uh, I'll go back here to, to uh, Ryan here uh, at damage control seemed to be too late. Um, you know, when he announced it on Monday and they were uh, already uh, ending their response, their sponsorship of the swimmer. And a little over two hours later, guess what? Ralph Lauren and gentle hair removal dropped him. So I have to say that, you know, when you do things, there's consequences, right? And um, I, think, I think hopefully what Ryan did and some of the other swimmers and other athletes can see is that you know, it's it's not just about the gold medal, okay? His apology was very shallow, and I think he realizes what he did, and I think he also realizes uh, what happened, and it is too late, and that you can't just do whatever you want to do. But I hope other people that are Olympians and, or in their training – Take this example and say, hey, you know, we can't be like him. Usually we want to be like him and be a role model. We can't. And I hope aspiring athletes that are going to become um, 
the new up and coming for the Olympics in um, four years from now, we'll see that this is what it's about. And, um, you know, I mean, making the exaggerated claims about the armed robbery and sharing his hope that he'll still be able to compete. I don't know. He damaged his reputation. All right. And enough said. I think I think we learned a very, very important, and I think he learned a very expensive lesson that you don't get a second chance. And um, I have to commend Ralph Lauren and the other sponsors for yanking um, their sponsorship from him because I would have done the same thing. You know, just because you're this great athlete and the minute you make a mistake, I'm not saying make a mistake because everybody can make a mistake, right? But when you cause such a disgrace, I mean, if you do something or somebody steals something or something happens and there, there's a reason and, and they, there's a mistake or something, that's terrible. When you disgrace an entire country, okay, and then you have the nerve to not only disgrace our country, but then you're also disgracing the country you're visiting, that's pretty bad. So I hope that many of the other um, athletes at this Olympics and other Olympics to come both winter and summer, will never, ever do anything like that again. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that before. And, again, I hope it's the last time. But uh, in the past, he had gotten very, uh, I'd say, bold. And he thought he pretty much could do anything he wanted. Um, but I think, I think he realized that, um, you know, in the statement that I think it was Scott uh, Blackman, uh, he went after Lochte and the fellow teammates and uh, and Jimmy Fine and Jack Connor and Gunnar Bentz for their actions early last Sunday morning. And Blackman said, and I'll quote, uh, that further action will be taken against the men, which for Lochte could mean a lifetime ban from competitive swimming. So, you know, I, I think the other people now are realizing that it's really important about who you hang out with. And, you know, realizing that just because you're the best at something or you're a great swimmer, that doesn't mean you have the right to do things uh, that are going to disgrace our country or disgrace people uh, there. And I'm not talking about uh, lifestyles or anything like that. All I'm talking about is having respect. Everyone can live the life that they want to live, but they need to have respect for themselves and have respect for others. And as long as you have that respect, then it's okay. But what he did and in the actions of how he did it, it just was, it just made me feel like, you know, he, he just got out of high school uh, or just went into high school and he was trying to impress his buddies. And that's not what we want to see from, um, you know, a United States uh, Olympic swimmer. That's not what we want to see. And so I hope, uh, hope Ryan got the message and I hope all the other Olympic people that are on the team got the message and the new people coming up. But I, I think they did because uh, the actions, the way they were taken and the fact that he lost the sponsorship, I don't think anyone on that team, if they were offered a sponsorship would even think twice about doing something that may disgrace or something illegal because they could lose their sponsorship. So I think that's enough. And then the fact that you could be banned from the whole U S swimming team I mean, that's enough right there. But, I mean, the fact that 
you know, uh, Ralph Lauren, and then, you know, they pull the sponsorship. I think that shows the kind of company that Ralph Lauren is and these other companies. You know, hey, we don't want somebody representing us that can just do whatever the heck they want. And I know, Brian, is it, is it time really for a break? Okay. Uh, well, listen, ladies and gentlemen, we have a lot more to cover. So stay right where you are, and we'll be right back after this quick break. For IT services and data destruction, the J. Moore Connection should be your direction. Engineer technology to grow your business. Our custom solutions are at your service. J.M.O.R. should be your direction. The J. Moore Connection. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. If you're just joining us, you're tuned into the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show. We're on episode 32 in season one, and we're talking about the technology that powered the Rio 2016 Olympics. So we were just finishing our conversation about now. I this some more uh, that was actually taking place at the Olympics, kind of the magic. So I already talked to you about the fact that they wore these whoop bracelets, different athletes, right, the swimmers and other athletes. So the bracelet actually got a lot of vitals. It did heart monitoring and real time. So the spectators could see that information, plus it gathered other information that they could gather offline and app and be able to uh, make recommendations on uh, how to sleep better, how they could tune their body better, to be in better shape for the optimum performance that the body could achieve. So I thought that was really great. The, um, some of the more general things. So, you know, anytime you have this many people, you know, in a venue and there are people from all walks of life, people with all kinds of mindsets, all kinds of personalities, we don't know what we're going to deal with, right? We don't know, just like at the Super Bowl. We don't know if we're going to have anybody crazy there. We don't know if everybody's in their right mind. We just don't know. So they have to, unfortunately, have guns. But I think the thing that was done really uniquely at this Olympics is that it wasn't just a plethora of guns everywhere. They all had RFID tags on them, and that made it very easy for management and the organizing companies to detect where guns were, deploy them, move them around. I thought that was really strategic. Uh, that was something that was not really let out during the Olympics, so people weren't aware of a lot of these things. And that's why we don't really want to talk about the security behind the Olympics while the Olympics is going on. That's why we purposely wait until the Olympics uh, closing ceremonies. Every year it's going to be a little bit different. So I don't feel like I'm giving you – uh, a message about how to incorporate or defile their security, because I'm not really telling you how it worked. I'm just really telling you that they had the system and they managed it, and they were able to track their asset. I'm not telling you any of the more of the specifics, because I think that would just not be appropriate. And um, so the spectators had um, what we called the uh, the near field um communication um it's a cause it's an nfc bracelet okay so before we talk about what the bracelet is so they wore this bracelet and an nfc type device it's a near field communication device 
It uses short-range wireless connectivity standards. It was, it was uh, followed by the ECMA 340 and the ISO IEC 18092. And basically, it uses a magnetic field induction, and it, it permits communication between devices when they're either touched together or brought within a few centimeters of each other. Let me give you an example. When you go to um, your store and you have a card, let's say you have um, a device, let's say your phone, and you want to pay with that phone, you could touch the phone to the device with a few centimeters and it pays for it. Now, that's actually something that happened at the Olympics, which I think is kind of unique. So they came up with this uh, bracelet, which is, which is all brand new, and all of the spectators got to wear a bracelet. So all they had to do when they went to one of the 4,000 point-of-sale terminals for food or other types of um, paraphernalia or souvenirs, they didn't actually ever have to exchange money. They could just tap or bring their bracelet within a few centimeters of the payment device on the, on the, on the uh, counter, and uh, it would communicate and um, – uh, cause the transaction to go through. Now, I know what you're saying to me. So this is great, but did the athletes actually have bracelets? No, they didn't. But if you looked at uh, Ryan or Michael Phelps, you saw that they are actually wearing a ring. And I'm not talking about a wedding ring. I'm talking about a ring that they wear that acted just like the bracelet. Okay, the only difference is this was a payment ring just for athletes, and it would work up to 50 meters of water depth. Pretty impressive. So you could go from, Cindy, for example, could go from pool to drink to back to pool again in, uh, in, in, in minutes, okay, uh, or seconds, I should say. So they could get things. And this is another thing that you didn't realize is that although they had a lot of um, complimentary stuff in the back where they could, you know, get things, they didn't have every single thing that you'd imagine back there. So they did have to pay for a lot of stuff. Most people think that everything for the athletes is free, and it's not. Uh, they do have a lot of things like water and Gatorade and drinks and stuff like that. But they don't have a plethora of all kinds of food that they had. They could go buy that. So that that's something that uh, was interesting. This was the first time that they had this. It worked out really, really well. And um, I'd say kudos to, um, you know, to the um, Olympic team in, in Rio for coming up. So remember, they spend years, um, you know, figuring out what they're going to do, how they're going to make it better, because each venue always wants to make it better. I mean, look at London. They wanted to make it even better than it was somewhere else before, right? And they all do. So every year it's always better. And uh, this was a great a great technology and a great improvement. So now we're going to expect this at future Olympics, just like at the, the winter Olympics. So everything is kind of like a building block that helps make the Olympics even better, uh, better performance, better security, etc. Now there was this whole thing in the Olympics about going green. So going green is the whole concept of, you know, using less energy, uh, less carbon footprint through um, less resources, having to burn off gas, uh, fossil fuels, etc., by causing less of a carbon footprint, thus creating less emissions uh, into the air. 
So in London, okay, and let's just compare in 2012, they actually had 719 servers uh, deployed to manage the 2012 London um, Summer Olympics. In Rio, I bet you'd probably be happy if we took that number 700 and I said, gee, you know, they brought it down to 600. That would be a pretty big, that'd be a nice accomplishment, right? Or maybe if I told you that out of 719, if we took that number and let's just say, I don't know, cut it down to 359, you'd probably think that's great, right? It's a 50% reduction. They did better than 50%. They lowered the servers in the Rio 2016 Summer Olympics. Get this, ladies and gentlemen, two. 150 servers. That's from 719 that ran the Olympics in London. They only had 250 servers at the Rio, managing the Rio Olympics. I thought that was kind of amazing. And at this Olympics, there were 500 people in 37 venues that were involved in three days for security, operational testing. So they really went through their paces before you know, the Olympics went live. And I, again, I say kudos off to the Rio Olympics. They really outdid themselves. And I think the next place hosting the Olympics is really going to have to step up their game because, you know, technology is always changing, you know, and, and although technology changes, they can't just throw something into the Olympics just because they want to. I mean, they have to test it, make sure it's going to work. Is it going to be consistent all the time? So there's a lot of things. Just like I told you about the lap counters, they tested them at the 2015 championship swimming, and then after they worked fine there, they rolled them into the Olympics. Pretty amazing stuff, and, um, you know, it it doesn't just end there. Let's talk about some other stuff. So you're all familiar with GE, right? Well, also in the Gen GE, we had – they had MRI, uh, an MRI exosheen there. They had X-rays. They had ultrasound, and for the first time ever at Olympics, they now had access to the EMR, electronic medical records, okay? And I thought that was pretty impressive, you know? And when I saw some of the pictures of these x-ray machines, I mean, they look better than some of the top hospitals I've seen with x-ray machines. I mean, these were really, really stellar, so they could get the treatment that they needed, uh, very quickly, very, very easily, and I think that was uh, absolutely amazing. Um, what I'm not sure of is, you know, I think it was just one facility that housed all these, because, again, this is a pretty big expense, so I think it was just one particular um, medical base. I don't think each uh, building, like the swimming building, had their own EMR. I think each, uh, there was like one venue where they housed um, all of these um uh, all these uh, x-ray and medical type uh, equipments for diagnostic. So it doesn't just end there. So the lighting was another thing that was um, really, um, really uh, planned well. The lighting, they improved it at all the critical public spaces, the central business district, the Flamingo Park, and get this, it was all telemanaged which actually saved them over 50 to 78%. I think that is really, really cool. Now, 
There's one other thing that they did in the medical arena that I almost forgot to tell you about, and that's PACS. And some hospitals don't even have PACS. So PACS is a picture archiving communication system that allows support from multiple systems and machine types, x-rays, operating systems, etc., so they can basically communicate back and forth. So I thought that was really, really interesting. So when we talk about, you know, the Olympics and, and we talk about a lot of things that are happening in the Olympics, I think the most important thing has to be, you know, how, how do you put all this together in such a short amount of time? And the answer is you don't. I mean, they, they plan uh, to do stuff like this. I mean, you're talking, I'm telling you, they're literally doing stuff like this for, for years. We're not talking, you know, like six months. We're talking years. And these technological innovations were, like I said, they were, they were just so amazing, you know, what, what they did. And, uh, you know, they, they keep trying to push that envelope just a little bit further. And sometimes they push that envelope actually sports a little bit harder because now the athlete has to be even more precise than they were before. And uh, I think that is, uh, I think that's kind of amazing. You know, um, the thing that, that's kind of interesting to me is how, you know, they bid on these next sites for the Olympics and how they go through all this stuff. And, um, you know, that now, now they, they, they made, they took, take, took care of the, the money issue. So now the, like I said, the, the one lady I was mentioning to you uh, who they showed in the commercial, uh, Missy Franklin, she can go for the pool to payment, all with just the tap of her ring. Uh so again, very, very easy, uh, very, very simple, and um, all of this gets basically done through uh, a little terminal. So when I mentioned to you at the counter, a lot of these um, are in the counter, but they have these portable machines. So literally, it's like a credit card terminal uh, and um, very easy. So, you know, when they're trying to get payment, uh, the people, the servers walking around, they can just, you know, help in the athletes because they, they had a little better service there where they would tap around. And they could just tap right there. And, uh, again, they made it easier for the athletes. But, again, I don't want you to think that it was free because it definitely, definitely was not free. But when we think about, you know, the Olympics and, you know, what's going on with it, there's so much that's happening that I think makes this, um, how can I say, almost hard to get your, your head around because, you know, with, with all the changes, um, there are lots of different types of um, systems. You know, everybody's trying to put their systems in there. And then they had another system that I thought was kind of interesting. They have this helmet that actually um, that you kind of put on your head. It's like helmet is like kind of like cap, not really a helmet, more of a cap. And it electrically stimulates parts of your brain. And so when they're doing their practice, it actually helps them get the best benefits out of practice. So this way they've activated those parts of the body. I thought that was kind of unique. You can actually buy uh, that cap today. It's a little under $600. It's like $589 plus tax. And um, so that's kind of – that's another unique thing. But, I mean, if I had to look at the entire Olympics, I'd say, as a whole, there is – so much going on at the Olympics 
And, you know, everyone is just trying to get from where they're going. Um, they're trying to figure out things. So, yes, I mean, they have things like apps and stuff like that. So I didn't mention that to you, but that all goes without saying. I mean, they have things like that so they can obviously keep track of where people are in apps. But that's all old news. And, you know, they've had that before. So that's why I haven't really – that's where I really haven't uh, – I haven't, I haven't really – you know, mention that too much, but being that some people in the chat room have asked me about it, um, basically they have some of the best apps now for keeping tabs on, on the Olympics. So, you know, you, you've got, um, they, they have one on the, um, you know, for the iPhone, they have it in the Android store. Again, very, very easy, very, very simple to use. So it can help you stay up to date with the Summer Olympics. Um, you know, they, they, um, you know, you can do things like the sports, the athletes, the teams. So you can download that. You can see what's going on. You can get the venues. And if you're there, you can literally find what's going on very easy and very simply. Um, the uh, gentleman, Brandon, I uh, believe was, um, I'm probably going to kill his name, Vigilario, um, uh, wrote about the apps and the software for the Tech Republic. And uh, he is award-winning. He was the writer and he worked uh, as an IT professional, and he served as the MP in the U.S. Army. So he was kind of the um, the key person to all of this. So, again, everything that's going on, you know, like I said, they have the apps, so you can see stats. You can see the, uh, the athlete's current heart rate. Uh, NBC delivered an Olympic app, such as lots of news. Uh, they had um, – uh, there were there were lots of them just to give you, but I know you had some questions. That's why I was I wasn't going to talk about that, but some people in the chat room were asking me about it, so I said why not talk about it. But again, they've had asked before. It's just that the apps have gotten better. That's probably the best way to uh, explain it to you is that they've they've gotten better and they've gotten more interactive. So you can search for things, um, you can look up certain things, you can. Um, they had something called the Olympic, the Olympic Hub, if you will. So you could follow them on the Olympic Hub. That was a little piece that they had there. And again, keeping you very connected with the athletes so you can know what was going on. Of course, you had the event schedule, uh, things like that. Um, you know, if there was news about an event, uh, anything happening, uh, any security bulletins, uh, they would all be posted uh, through the app. So again, um, that is very, very handy. I think the biggest question is, you know, is probably the open ceremonies. And, um, the best thing about the, uh, opening ceremonies, if you remember uh, a few years ago, was how they did all those LED screens. Remember how that all worked? And, um, the, the, that was kind of unique. It cost them a lot of time and money to put that in. And, uh, it, it just was, it, it was, it was kind of amazing. Um, uh, but then, you know, people thought it was going to do a lot more than it did and it didn't. And after a lot of anticipation, you know, the, the Olympics kicked off, um, NBC followed it. Um, Matt Lauer, Meredith Vieira, Hoda Kotb, they, um, Gave you everything that you hoped for. And, 
you know, the outfits in the parade uh, nations uh, definitely grabbed our attention. I'll say that. Um, the performers inside the stadium. Um, I think it's interesting was the simple idea of the way the world comes together once every four years for two weeks of summer sports. I mean, I think that's just amazing how it happens and how we have that kind of a union around the world. That's kind of unique. Um, what else can I tell you about the opening ceremonies? I, I guess the other thing I wanted to say is that, um, you know, the, the camaraderie, the way everybody kind of connects with each other, it's kind of like a family. And uh, a lot of the people, even though they're at the Olympics, when they leave the Olympics, they really, they really stay connected. So I think it's a very unique type of thing. And um, uh, I guess the other thing that's probably important I should tell you is they got even more proficient with, you know, how they gave out the awards. I'm sure many of you are following that. You know, they um, – they had lots of great panoramic shots that we saw. Uh, the photo photography was just really incredible. Um, but if I had to tell you, I don't know, somebody would say to me, what, what was the worst thing about the 2006 Olympics? I really didn't want to mention the worst thing. I guess I should tell you. Um I would say the five worst things, if I had to pick five of the worst things of the Olympic, um, the Russian doping scandal, um, um, the Olympic Village um, was inhabitable, so many aspects of the Olympic Village are beautiful. But the condition of dorms were not, and due to electrical plumbing problems, um, the leader Kitty Chiller uh, had to get the team out of the complex until the problems were fixed. So they had those issues. Um, what else can I tell you? Well, there was a couple others. I think uh, you know there's there's no way to catch them all. I'm sure, I'm sure you know that. Uh, the water was just horrible. You didn't want to drink the water. And, uh, you know, again, when you travel, there's always going to be there's always going to be those things that, you know, we wish weren't there. You know, um, there was a person who kicked a referee. I thought that was really uh, uncalled for. And um, when they light. Olympic cauldron, you know, at the ceremony. It's usually really beautiful, but unfortunately, um, the, the thing I want to draw back, because we're thinking about a, a cheap back of, you know, all the Olympics. I, I would say, you know, in 1988, they had a big issue uh, when they did the Olympics, but, you know, if, if we talk about the six, probably the six Really, only five things in Rio, I'd say, because, you know, all in all, I don't think the Olympics were really that bad. I think they they really worked hard. Security was uh, was was definitely on track. Uh, I guess the next thing I probably should talk about would be kind of the uh, the weird thing. Um, ticket scalping 
was a really big issue. Uh, the Rio police were cracking down on it very hard when the game started. And um, so that was something that was definitely happening. Um, one of the spectators got so angry, he gave the shirt off his back in a protest. Um, the unsynchronized diving of roommates, you know, um, and, and, and I, and I guess the issue there was, um, and again, this is a G rated show. They had lots of issues about with the swimmers and then the swimmers wanted to be with somebody else and spend intimate time with someone uh, that caused a lot of issues because the other person was asleep. So that caused a lot of issues. Like I said to you, a lot of people at this Olympics didn't realize, and I think they really should sit down and think that this was not a social free for all, you know, and can't they just hold whatever they need to hold for two weeks? Because, you know, I understand there were lots of situations and things, but the Olympics time was not a time to be dating or being intimate. That was not the time for that. So I think it's not okay to force a roommate to find another place to sleep. I think that's wrong. Um, I think that that's really wrong. And then someone were being really nasty about it. Um, I'd say, you know, speaking from the heart, they did have some reports at gunpoint, okay? Uh, not a lot that made the news. The, uh, the soccer fields, they didn't feel were green enough. The front yard should have been greener, and the trees should have been greener. Um, unfortunately, some of the pools, uh, swimming pools were green. that shouldn't have been, and some of the cheese there was green. Um, so, you know, obviously we know the thing about Ryan again. He tried to break down the, the locked restroom at a gas station. He, you know, basically... Uh, passed his uh, bodily fluids on a gas station wall uh, when the above didn't work. He fighted with a security guard trying to make them stop, uh, lied to his mom and told them that we, he was robbed. He lied to the real cops. He lied to NBC about being robbed. And he blamed his teammates for the incident when the security camera footage emerged. So I guess that really says something about some of the players, and I'm not going to say individually who, but – I think you have to understand that, you know, you have to realize that you're there as a team. And understand that just because you're so great at something doesn't mean that you're not infallible. And if you make a mistake and you do something wrong, you got to own up to it, right? I think that's really what we're saying. Um, for years, many athletes, whether it be football, baseball, soccer, uh, lacrosse, uh, uh, Olympics, it doesn't matter. You know, if you do something wrong, you have to pay the price. And it may not be a financial price. It may be a cost, such as losing a, um, a sponsorship. Maybe it's an ego thing. Maybe you're being kicked off a team. But ultimately, you know, I think the team needs to 
when they bring them out there because a lot of these people are not really schooled. I mean, they should have common sense, but I think they should be schooled about what is appropriate behavior. I think we shouldn't assume that anymore because too many people getting into the Olympics are very young and they don't understand respect. I mean, respect is something that very few people seem to have now. I mean, it's like there's an arrogance and that's okay, but then there's people that don't want to be respectful because I'm better than you. And although that's nice, the problem is, is that if you act that way to people that are not nasty to you, you know, you're really setting a precedent. And I don't say we want to judge anybody, but when the whole country is getting mocked at or, you know, people are laughing at you because you're lying, I mean, that, that's just not right. I mean, this almost happened with another swimmer last year. I'm not going to – a few years ago. I'm not going to mention his name. But, you know, and I think we have to understand that there's a limit, Right. But, you know, the bottom line is the Olympics, we're here for one reason, and that's to do the best we can for our country and bring home medals. It's not a time to find who we can date or have intimate relations with. That's not what the Olympics is about, guys and girls. That's not what it's about. So maybe you guys need to think about what the Olympics really is about before you decide about someone who's going to be representing our country. And if you're not happy with what the Olympics should be about, then maybe you shouldn't even participate in the Olympics. And I'm really serious about that because how you portray the country is very important. And again, I'm not talking about lifestyles. I'm just talking about respect. You can do whatever it is that you want to do, but have respect. And if certain things are done in private, there's nothing wrong with that. But always have respect. And, and, and you know, be honest with your teammates. Don't drag the whole team down. You're there as a team, right? Don't drag your team down. So, again, this has been a great um, little recap about the Rio 2016 Olympics. I hope you've enjoyed this show, and um, I hope you'll tell your friends, your colleagues, and your associates about uh, the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show. We'd love to hear from you. You can chat with us online, visit us on uh, our Facebook page, share us, like us. Our YouTube channel is out there. Uh, Chat with us 24 hours a day or give us a call. Let us know your feedback. We want to hear from you. And I got to run because it's that time. Have a wonderful week, ladies and gentlemen, and I will see you next Monday at 11 p.m. Eastern Time. From all of us at the J. Moore Connection Incorporated, we'd like to thank you for listening tonight and invite you to join us again next Monday at 11 p.m. Eastern Time. Be sure to tell your friends and associates about the J. Moore Radio Show and call in live. Be sure to call us early next time so you can get on air too. The Jaymore Connection, we're engineering technology to grow your business, and you can chat with us right now at jmor.com or call us at 800-208-5155. Thanks so much for stopping by, and have a great night. Good night, everyone. We'll see you next Monday.